Chase's Follies Part 2. <laughs> yeah, I like how every one of our shows is prompted by Chase doing something wrong with the computer. That's fine. <laughs> Maybe it becomes a theme. <laughs> Welcome to Interface. My name is Andrew, and with me are Chase and Ian. Hey, Hey, buddy. So, Chase, I heard that your daughter purchased a bunch of stuff in the Kindle store. <laughs> Not a bunch of stuff. Come on, be generous. Two, two out of three books of a trilogy is a good start, right? That's a, <laughs> I don't know about a bunch. Yeah. So, my my new folly is that when I woke up this morning, I found that I'd bought digital content after I was while I was sleeping last night. And I don't. Hopefully, this is not a recurring theme, but you know, this is two weeks in a row is good. So. When I went to investigate, <laughs> I thought, all right, it was probably just Aubrey because I saw my Kindle on the ground when I picked it up last night. And and I'll like look, I look at the email and it's from 1130 and we went to bed at you know, 10 or something. Yeah, my daughter, yeah, we go to sleep at 10. It's fine. And um, so I thought, ah, oh, crap, 1120, somebody hacked me. No, no nobody hacked me because then I tried to think about it. Who hacks to buy the first and third book of a no-name trilogy and so, uh, but it did motivate me to follow up on your guys' advice and invest in a password management tool. So that was my interesting morning. I did that, and I feel good about it. Oh, which I received a text message from my wife on my way in that said, uh, the Amazon password changed. <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> I know. I'll have to help you later. <laughs> the real question is, what was your wife trying to buy? <laughs> she doesn't hide it that all went by the wayside when she realized i got confirmation emails when she ordered stuff right away because at one point i felt bad she ordered me a present and i got the confirmation email and then but i always leave it as unread because that's how i like remember to deal with it and later it was gone so she had archived it hoping that i hadn't seen it and, then, <laughs> and well, was she trying to buy you something is that what you said yeah she was trying to surprise me but well, that was sweet i mean god bless her um anyway i went and investigated my kindle and uh, when I opened it, it was to book three of whatever this fantasy trilogy was. And then when I hit the back button, it went to book one, which means Aubrey had been like, I don't know why, but she had found a suggested reading, bought it, went to the third book and bought that too. <laughs> so now I have $10 and 66% of a fantasy trilogy. Suggested media is really effective on kids. <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh my goodness. This is the downside when uh, you trained your toddler how to use touchscreen devices. Yeah, <laughs> it's swipe to unlock. I mean, she, yeah, no, she gets it. Well, there was wasn't wasn't there that kid who spent like a hundred dollars or no, it was like ten thousand dollars on in-app purchases or something. Yes, and oh that's that's Apple's mistake because they allow you once. Oh, and this is older OS. Now it's changed a little bit, but it used to be that when you bought something, it would for like fifteen minutes allow you to keep buying some things. Right. Oh. And and that's what caused the problem. As a parent was like, "Yes, I'll let you spend five dollars in this game to buy more gems or rupees or whatever your in-game currency is." And then the oh, kid And then the kid was like, "Oh, I want more. I'm going to try to buy more." And it didn't ask for the password. Right. And each time you buy, it resets that 15 minute window. <laughs> and so it was like, as long as the kid continued oh to buy stuff, it continued to charge the parent's credit card and and rack oh. up a bill without ever asking for a password again. This is really good. And th- yeah, it was an obscene amount of money, right? Like thirty thousand yeah, dollars or fifteen thousand dollars. It was it was the, the article I found is it was twenty five hundred dollars. Oh twenty five, okay. So, I was off by an order of magnitude, no big deal. Yeah. Seventeen hundred pounds. Yeah, wow. but like what were the transaction amounts? Probably ten dollars at a time. Oh, there was wait, no, here's another one. This is a three thousand iTunes bill. 
Wow. Oh my goodness. Is so, it all... but the point is, there's so many. Was it all the same game? No, these are all different games. Oh, okay. Wait, can we can we take a moment to then laugh at the guy who was running for state senate or whatever and had his kid spend fifteen hundred dollars on Steam games, which is amazing at yes. the beginning. <laughs> but this yeah. is no child clicking. It's like haphazardly. It's some high schooler just just negligent with his dad's whatever um, campaign fund credit card. Okay, here's something incredible. Uh, there is a free-to-play game. They talk about like whales, which are the people who tend to spend the most money on these sorts of things. They subsidize the fund for everybody else. Uh, they... Eric Johnson at Recode says that he talked to a game company who actually assigned an employee to one particular player who dropped $10,000 every month on in-app purchases. Oh, that's wow. really good. And I feel bad when I refuel my car in CSR Racing and it costs <laughs> $0.99 cents for six more races or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, thousands oh, of dollars, man! Those whales—they just subsidize the fun for everybody. God, yeah, it's it's uh, that's gross. But yeah. so, like, there's a ton of these stories. There's another one: a kid racks up fifty-nine hundred-dollar bill playing Jurassic World on dad's iPad. Like, what do you do to make these things like easier for people, easier for people to buy, but not so easy that kids can accidentally do all these things? Yeah, I mean, so. Y- we touched on some of it, right, with, like, if you use the biometric, like, you use your fingerprint scanner to buy, it's confirmation to buy, right? Right. Right. And that's, Does that's that still a, re-enable you to do that every time? That has that has changed it? in iOS uh, in some of the more recent versions now. Instead of, like, that 15-minute window, you can either say, mm-hmm. like, never require a password for free stuff, which is great, because then kids can go download whatever the free app is. But the second they try to buy something, it'll ask for a password or the Touch ID and as long as mm-hmm. their touch ID isn't, or their thumb isn't set up for touch ID on that device, their parent has mm-hmm. to do it. And then the parent can say, allow the 15-minute grace period mm-hmm. or right, require right. authentication so. each time, which then oh, if that's you do better. it. And so that's, that's the solution for a lot of these kids. It's like, well, <clears throat> you can re-authenticate every time you want to buy something. Now you have to go ask mom each time. Um, and they also have some family metrics or family mechanics within... Uh, iOS now. So if you set up a kid account, you can require the kid if it is their device and they try to spend money, that it will send an alert to the parents oh, that's nice. on the account and require the parents to approve the purchase even if the kid is set up to use mom and dad's credit card and has their thumbprint set up. If they're set up as a child, it will then come back. Mom and dad get the, the final say, basically. Mm-hmm. That's interesting and useful. Can you have multiple people set up to uh, authenticate on the same like iOS device? biometrically yeah okay i didn't know that yeah because you you can add multiple thumbprints or fingerprints or whatever so like on on my wife's iphone i have one thumb programmed to her phone even though i know her passcode just force of Mm -hmm. habit when i grab her phone she's like hey can you look at that force of habit is put my Mm -hmm. thumb on touch id because that's what i do on my phone and so Mm -hmm. i just put my thumb there and it unlocks and then vice versa she has a finger set up on mine yeah. I really like that as a usability thing because it provides pretty good security but also enough flexibility that other people can use it because that's a yeah. pretty common use case where you share devices. Yeah. In fact, when I was texting you guys uh, driving back up from Iowa today, it wasn't me. It was Taylor who was texting you every time she'd walk the phone she could turn it back on again. Yeah. Right. Like I said, I think iPads is even a bigger use, use case for that too. It's like iPhones, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a personal thing but but there are a lot of people who do family iPad you know, this is the iPad that sits yeah. on the coffee table, and whoever wants to use it can use it, and it just hangs out there. Um, yeah. I mean, we're almost to that point now where we have enough redundant iPads that we have one that just sits on the coffee table or next to the bed, and it's like, oh, if you want to read a book, grab that. If you want to 
look something up, grab that. And mm. to have Touch ID on those devices just is like another added bonus. Yeah, that makes sense. And useful. I mean, this all the password thing or all the password nonsense has me thinking, you know, like that would be the easiest solution to share devices because in this perfect example of where Sarah wants to buy something on Amazon and I've now have changed the password on Amazon to something I don't even know, right? Like some ridiculously complicated thing. I have to figure out some solution to let her be able to share. So I think in this case, it'll be having to set her up with the password management on her own account. Cause I'm sure you can do like, you can grant permissions, you know, for select logins or for the whole thing. I'm sure those are all options you can do. Um, so we'll have to follow that. Otherwise, if it was just the biometric thing, I could just add her as another user. And she would never need to know the password either, which would be better. Things get, I mean, this is the trade-off between the ease of buying something and making sure you don't let people get into it too much or do it too often is sort of the same trade-off for security overall. Um, there's the dash buttons, the Amazon dash buttons. Mm-hmm. And I've heard stories of people who, uh, like one guy who had the plumber come to his house and the plumber accidentally ordered a bunch of toilet paper because he just kept bumping into the dash button. <laughs> and it was like far enough apart between whatever the set interval was for minimum... It must have been either that or the plumber was just being a troll and pushing the button himself. Now that's that's them setting it up poorly though, because there is, well, like the the user, yeah, they, careful. They have the option of either saying allow me to order multiples, or mm-hmm. don't order the next one until this one's been delivered. So in theory, they oh. should set it up that way, and that I think that is the default is that you can't order more until it's been delivered. Now you can go and shut that off to say I want to order you know, 18 things of Tide like we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, the idea that you Can you, you ask have... Alexa to do that? Alexa, order 18 things of Tide like we talked about. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't, <laughs> but I could. <laughs> See, that makes sense if it's the default. I like that a lot better than requiring the, the default, which makes sense for Amazon to be very lenient and allow people to accidentally order a lot of stuff because they're in the business of selling lots of things. But if the default is to make sure that people can't accidentally do that, that seems like a much better use case. Chase for exactly what it's worth. What I was thinking. Uh, Amazon yeah. household is what you're looking for. Amazon household, okay. Yeah, and that that gives you the ability to set up multiple adults on the account, mm. and you, okay. I, I assume then she also gets the confirmation emails. So you may want to turn credit card alerts on too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's as if you have experience in these mm. these ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, that makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a whole bunch of these things, too. But just the fact that that's called Amazon Household, which is interesting because I already have, like, I already have the whole Kindle family. Like, so there's another Amazon service uh, with a separate family service, right? It's interesting. Right. I don't know. Maybe there's not a clean way to tie because Kindle's kind of its own ecosystem, right? Right. It's, like, you know, independent of Amazon. I was going to say Amazon Prime, but that doesn't make sense. I, I think the, uh, I think it's, I think it's actually technically, like, Prime Household. But the idea is that it's, mm-hmm. it's strictly for your Prime stuff. And for Amazon shopping, right. not so much for sharing books or games or movies or whatever. Whereas that's all yeah. through the Kindle and uh, Prime video or music or whatever services. Sure. Yeah, it just, it all seems so muddled together. I mean, I would love to have like a master Amazon you know, family system or something. Which is good news for them, right? The fact that you have people with worrying about multiple uses within your ecosystem is great. <clears throat> And uh, for what it's worth, I just had to go look up the name of the book. Um, uh, I now am the proud owner of The Assassin's Apprentice and The Assassin's Quest, 
books one and three, respectively, of the Farseer trilogy. So if you guys are interested, I can give you my one Kindle lending credit of each of those copies, <laughs> as that's the way that uh, ebook sharing works on the Kindle. <laughs> Man, Kindle sharing, by the way, is a nightmare. Amazon has gone out of their way to make it as difficult as possible. It's a nightmare. It's absolutely a nightmare. That's not a feature. And you're, t- you're sort of it. You're t- you're, so you're specifically talking about I own this this ebook and I want to share it with, and I want to send it to Ian, and I have this other one and I want to share it with you, right? Right, right. You can't do it from the app. You have to go to the Amazon store. You, have to, you can't do it through any of the order pages or anything like that. You bury it under a bunch of menus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Kindle stuff is really, really tough to work to work through i think or at least as long as you do it within their 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 plan for the way it's supposed to work it's fine with them and you try to deviate from it in a way that doesn't give amazon money Mm -hmm. so i have uh, i've heard actually i have a friend who does this where if you get epubs which is the non-amazon format Mm -hmm. and you want to use them on a kindle device because like me you prefer your kindle paperwhite um you could do a thing like you could convert all of your EPUBs to Mobi, which is the Amazon ebook format, and then um, you could just sideload them onto your device. Now, the bummer with sideloading onto a device is that it's, so I hear, it's uh, specific to that one device, and then it doesn't do your tracking across devices, and also doesn't um, have nice Goodreads integration like you want it to with the ebooks that you buy through Amazon. But if you convert to Mobi and email it to your official Kindle account, then you get it as if you own it, and nothing changes. Oh so what? that's the I hear that's the workaround. <laughs> so this is the trade-off between the ease and accessibility uh, to have access to all this stuff and how to, on devices that are easy to use, and then ownership to them and, and flexibility to do what you want with it. The, the more tightly integrated you are into the ecosystem, the harder it is to actually do the things that you want to do with things. I know. Yeah, and the, and you know what the real and so like. The bummer is that I want to live in the Amazon ecosystem for books specifically. Like I'm happy to say that I like it; it's good. But just when I spend ten dollars on an ebook, which happens frequently, or if I'd spend five bucks on the paperback, I could give you the paperback. But giving you the ebook is a nightmare, right? But I would love to just like lend it to you. So the whole I, I get why you don't want to do it because digital sharing is a nightmare for them to manage. But on the practical side of what my expectation as a user is when I want to buy a book, it's totally broken. Yeah. I thought there was a sharing thing in here. Oh, you have your Kindle with? Oh, you have your Kindle with you right now? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Very nice. And what Kindle do you have? Technically, technically, this is the Amazon Fire, the $50. Oh, it's no longer a Kindle Fire. Uh, that's right. The, the mounted on your bathroom wall e-reader. <laughs> mounted on your bathroom wall e-reader. So that's what you, you directly get your whatever the um, newspaper slash magazine <laughs> articles are that pop up. This actually lives in our kitchen a lot more often than it lives and that in my, my backpack that I bring to work. Um, Mm -hmm. but I use it. I I'll use it to like pull up recipes and stuff when I'm cooking. Um, and and at $50 for a little Android tablet, like I can use as a cutting board if I want to (laughs) (laughs) for a good Android tablet, right? Like it's not even a shitty one. It's it's decent. It's, it's a low powered processor and it's got a shit camera on it, but Right. No. Yeah. But for what you're using it for, it yeah, sounds like fifty dollars is a sweet. It's absolutely yeah. worth it. Um, yeah. I think the subsidized stuff they did was really interesting. That's a little bit of yeah. A for the Kindle ecosystem drives me nuts. Right. Where, you, I, but it's such a interesting like, business model because I think it really it no, works for a lot like of people. Every time you unlock the device or wake up the device, there's a new ad on the lock screen, which oh, is yeah, a, no, I got a that. little bit yeah. obnoxious, but 
It's but you got it for dirt cheap, didn't you? I got it on Black Friday for thirty five bucks. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I got so I have a Kindle Paperwhite um, second gen, uh, maybe first. I don't know. One of the first two Paperwhites, and that also has the ads. I think it was the first thing to do the ad, no ad, or mm-hmm. you know, in that it was in that timeline. And uh, my big concern was like, you're gonna kill my battery. And then I was like, oh yeah, e ink doesn't take any battery when it stays on, so they they get to forever load their ad on your <laughs> your e ink display. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, my dad has one of those, and it was really weird to like look over. He had like a pile of books and his Kindle on the uh, side table, where he just sit and do his reading. And it was bizarre to see the Kindle on top and just have an ad always on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a cover, so I never really see it, but. When like when Sarah would pick up my Kindle, she'd open it, and like, the summer because you get random ads, right? I mean, I'm yeah. saying random. I don't know how they're doing their how they're targeting, but seemingly random because I was getting an ad for like his worst desire or something like that. Like, oh my like, god! I know, and like I've and this isn't like I'm secretly hiding like like romance novels on my Kindle. I've never bought, looked, or anything on them on mine, so I don't know like why I got that. But Sarah thought that was amazing. She's like, okay, whatever I, you want to tell me. I think a lot of it is either people are paying for advertising or it's just promoting stuff within the Amazon ecosystem. And, and it all goes back to what we've been talking about. How did Aubrey end up buying those books? It could have been that she woke it up and there was an ad for one of those books on the lock screen yeah. and she bought it. And then right. obviously the next page after you buy it is, well, if you bought this, you might also enjoy because that's how Amazon rolls. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, because you can Insta buy things on on the Kindle, especially when it comes to things like books, where it's literally just a tap away. Uh, I mean, even on even on the Fire that I have, like the first time I bought a book, I thought I was just like adding it to my cart and I was going to check out and put in a password. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, I'm going to buy this. And then I got an email. And it was like, congratulations on your first book purchase. We've credited your account one dollar for for making your first purchase. I was like, well, thanks for the dollar. Now can I have my other four back? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, this actually, this approaches towards the idea of a dark pattern, which are user interfaces that are designed to trick yep. people into doing something. Yeah. yeah. It's dangerously um, close to that, isn't it? I mean, it's so dangerously close, one might say that these are dark patterns. In fact, I just, it was filling my car up at the gas station, and uh, the advertised price on the sign outside was $1.87. Uh, and you go to the station, and you look at it, and there's, on the far left, which is where the cheap one always is, there's the uh, 87 octane. Uh, mm-hmm. unleaded one I was like yep that's the one that hit it and I was just about to press it when I looked at the price and thought it was 225 and it turns out that they had hidden the cheapest one in the middle and the octane ratings were the same it said unleaded in the same spot the only difference was the price ethanol. no it's ethanol no it wasn't ethanol it wasn't no th- there was an ethanol one but it wasn't this one what, what? they're the same yeah. gas for two different prices no I, as far as I could tell it was unleaded and super unleaded but the octane ratings were the same and I couldn't detect any one, difference in the two of them except one, for like a 50 cent price difference super unleaded is the ethanol blend yeah is yeah. it but they're hiding that information then too which yeah. because but they like, had an actual that, right? they, they had an ethanol pump that's for E85 yeah ethanol that means that's E85 yeah what is the difference my god <laughs> right dark patterns well, that's the difference <laughs> yeah there it is <laughs> Yeah, there there is a difference. One one is eighty five percent ethanol, one's fifteen percent ethanol. Oh, got it. Yeah, that's a really dirty trick to play, and, it, and putting it in the middle is worse because traditionally it does go least to most expensive. Right, that's that's what makes sense. I see the same thing around here, and I'm sure uh, you guys see it at least occasionally with gas stations where they advertise their price of gas as, like in your example, a dollar eighty seven, and you pull in, and and none of the prices are a dollar eighty seven. They're a dollar ninety nine. 
209, 219. You're like, well, where's this dollar eighty seven? And it's a dollar eighty seven with car wash. Oh, I've not seen that. Oh, that's I have not bad. seen that either. Oh, okay, that's, that's that must really be a sketchy. Chicago sketchy thing all over the place here. It's like, oh, well, that's a wow. great price on gas. Just, you just uh, yesterday or this morning, I, I noticed as I was driving to work that I was like, oh, damn, gas is back under two bucks. I should stop and fill up. And then I looked closer, and they put in big bold letters the price with car wash, and then in little little numbers below it, it's like, you know, actually a dollar ninety nine or two nineteen or whatever without right. the car wash. So they're they're giving you a break on the overpriced car wash, right? And and just basically That's, making up for that that money somewhere else. Okay, then. So as a as a user of Chicago gas stations, do you mentally attribute five ten cents to the price of gas when you see it advertised? Uh, I get really I just get really good at knowing what gas stations advertise that way. Okay, and okay. what to look for. Like the gas so, station that I stop at, pretty much every time I fill up doesn't have a, a car wash. So I know the okay. price advertises the price advertised. That's what it is. But there okay. are some other gas stations, or if I'm not in my, my normal area, it's like you have to take a second look and just make sure that it doesn't say in real tiny writing below with car wash. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, Part of this is because we rely so much on the uh, where we are and the signs around us to get gas prices. Like I think it would be a lot better if your car could just sort of, based on where you based on how much gas you have left in your driving. Like, my car can be to cut the range on it, right? If it knows that I'm going to be hitting a gas station that's cheap very quickly, maybe you should tell me to do that. That's got to be coming, right? Because you can use, like, Gas Buddy or whatever that is. Or, like, I use Fuely, and those services would help you find those, like, locations. And then input them to your GPS. Right, it's built into Waze. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if a service like Automatic could sync into that. Um, yeah. Because I think it can also tell your range. It's a little uh, ODBC yeah, two thing. Yeah, OBD two. Yeah, yeah, and and it could. I think it relays it back to your phone. So I assume it could say, you know, you're now within eighty miles of low. If it had a way to integrate into Gas Buddy or Fuelly or Waze or whatever, and say, right. okay, now based on where you're driving, especially if you're on the interstate, you know, you're driving to Minneapolis or whatever. Like, it's it's easy to say. I'm probably going to be on 35 this whole drive until I get to the cities. Mm-hmm. Tell mm-hmm. me where the nearest gas station is that isn't too far off the road. That's going to be on right. my way. That also has a good price. Yep. Exactly. Like that has to be coming, right? That seems simple. It seems obvious. I don't know. I, you would think so, especially when you have a GPS enabled car, right? You have a branch, but range. That seems like a very obvious overlap. I think, I mean, if you had, if you had an OBD two reader or if you're, if they ever made your, um, the Bluetooth protocol that connects your phone to your vehicle, able to communicate to your CAN messaging, so then you wouldn't even need the OBD2 reader, right? Like you would just get that right. data over Bluetooth. Then you would only need your phone to do it, and that would that seeming seemingly is very simple. But I think obviously um, there's some more intricate mechanisms of trying to get the car companies to collaborate with. You know, your you know, did you bring that up? Because there's that app uh, automatic, which is that that reader uh, that talks to it wirelessly, but there's no gas stuff built into that. But and. It, but it can pull any of the OBD2 information. Yeah. Right, but my car tells me that. Yeah, but it can but it has access to that same information. It now acts as the liaison between your phone or between your car and your phone now to get that information. Right. right. I just think it's interesting that like even this app which is totally GPS enabled has access to all these other APIs and is app enabled itself doesn't provide you that information. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's like who's who's the burden on, right? Like Right. Is it up to automatic to become like they're motivated to do it to become the app that everybody wants in their car? Is it up to Mazda to do it to 
get you to use their version of it, right? Like, right. We've and and if history is any indicator, like we don't want the car manufacturers to make individual versions of these things. Like we'd rather have automatic or Google with Waze or somebody integrate all this for us. Because if you, when you get splintering, everybody makes their own internal car infotainment stack. They're bad, right? They're just we've already seen this. Well, and I'm more interested in the software company making software or the company that is like has motivation to do this work than Mazda, which is in the business of banking cars, not making infotainment. Yeah, I would argue that they're motivated to make a good infotainment stack. I just I think it's just time and experience have shown us that they're just not good at it. Well, yeah, and so that's why I think you should go. I mean, you can outsource. You can contract with companies who actually are good at it. You can use. You can put in a dual stack display that just talks to Android Car, or whatever it's called, Auto Android and uh, CarPlay. Yeah, this is, I was just gonna say, just install either CarPlay or Android Auto or whatever in every car. I mean, like, you can do like what Chevy's doing and uh, contract with LG to make your infotainment system better. Yeah, it's still better. What so fun? Fun like mini story. Once upon a time, when I started the human computer interaction program, my goal was to be a UX designer, UX you know, some type of UX person at a car company because it was mirroring my favorite things. And then, like Chevy released this great video of like of uh, it was promoting I don't remember which Corvette, but one of the new Corvettes. And they people hooked up to all the different biometric sensors, and they have all their they have like a you know a HUD in the Corvette, and it tells like lateral G's and like. It has so it's got the GeForce meter and all like the great stuff and it had everybody's like real time physiological feedback and I was like it's mirroring all my favorite things oh my god that's my job and then uh, you go and you realize how bad that stuff actually is to work with in the car and mm-hmm. you get like your job would be a nightmare I think because I think it'd be I'm, I'm speculating I have no inside sources on this but I'm like seeing like looking at the performance of those infotainment stacks it just seems like it would have been a nightmare and then they go and outsource it to LG like uh, okay <laughs> right right uh, and the LG one is an interesting use case because it's on the Chevy Bolt, uh, oh. so it's a uh, it's an electric car where that sort of information is really important. <laughs> How do you feel about the Bolt, Andrew? You know, I have some. I'm pretty skeptical about it. I have some <laughs> concerns about it, uh, viability, especially range wise. Uh, a lot of range anxiety yeah. for a 200 mile car. Yeah, we will, uh, no doubt, get to that topic one day. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. I'm gonna. An unapologetic electric car supporter. I think that the the, the Tesla, the Bolt, it, they're really great. Really good, really good. Duly noted. All right, so I I will um here before I forget to to recap what we talked about last week in the same the same vein of Chase's follies when I was hacked on PSN and somebody had bought seventy five dollars worth of NBA two K sixteen credit. That's amazing. <laughs> first of all, um, so I got refunded. That's great. Nice. And now my my PSN wallet is fat and happy with seventy five dollars. My PayPal is still seventy five dollars sad. And um, I went online, and it's, no one knows how to reverse that. Like PayPal is not going to touch it because it was uh, oh, you no. know, like all sales are final. And and Sony absolutely is. You know, they are firmly not going to refund you back like the sale out of their ecosystem. Of course not. So now I have seventy five dollars. I've got seventy five cool bucks sitting in my PSN that I'm never going to spend because <laughs> all the games I would spend it on, I would buy on Steam. I have a great idea. You should yeah, buy. You should buy NCAA two K sixteen. Yeah, buy more NBA two K sixteen. Yeah, yeah. So what's amazing about that is I thought I should just buy those damn credits and sell them on eBay. <laughs> 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 and then if you do that it goes back to your paypal account i know at a at a neat 52 after charges and ebay fees well, yeah. and my markdown <laughs> so my so i'm six hours in and <laughs> 23 dollars poorers 
like when I sold my car, I had to, the battery was dead. I had to buy a new battery. The battery cost me seventy five dollars, and I bought the car for twenty. <laughs> oh, that's not a fair comparison, but yeah, it's still, you, fun. You got mileage out of it. That counts for something. Yeah. Right, right. I I just stare at this two thousand pound piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> How come there's no two factor authentication authentication for uh, 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 purchasing things? For all things? Yeah. Because marketers or the companies don't want to give you a second chance to say like, oh, actually, maybe I don't want to buy that. I would say I think some things almost edge on that, but not quite. Because I'm thinking like Amazon, because obviously was that like the notification that you bought it, well, but no, not before like, to ask. Like with what we talked about with the, uh, you're you obviously are setting up parental <laughs> controls on your your Kindle now that require a pin to purchase something. But I guess right. that's really not the second factor because you're you're auto signed in. I was thinking you have to sign into the account. Mm. But if it's just always storing your your Amazon credentials and all you're doing is entering the pin, you're really it's still only a single factor. With the exception of yeah. now, if you sign out of your Amazon account, then you'd have to sign in and then put the pin in. Well, there's still no two factor off on uh, on Amazon. Is there for Kindle? Is that how that works effectively? There is two-factor authentication for Amazon. I thought. No. Sure. Yeah. I'm gonna go look right now. Um, I mean, Amazon goes really far in the opposite direction of two-factor when they just there's the one-click button. Right. right. Which, yeah. Which, exactly. But that's all opt-in. It's right, and I believe it's per machine as well. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, yes. you're right because you have to set it up it with is, your it phone is, and it all is that. It's per, per device because I can one-click on my phone and on my computer, but I can't on my iPad. Because my iPad is a communal right. device, and I don't want someone else <laughs> buying crap all the time. Yeah, right. Seems, seems like a good reason. Um, although, like like I told you guys with with the Echo, um, that pretty much eliminates all barriers. Like you literally just say, "Alexa, order more of this," and as long as it's something you've ordered before, she orders it. Um, but there yeah. is the option on the Echo to set a pin. So if you tell her to order something, she'll ask for a four-digit code that you preset. But it would be nice if that was something that could be automated where it sent you a code and you recited it back, creating an actual two-factor. Two-factor. Yeah. Yeah, that would be nice. Hey, look at this. Um, you can turn on two-step verification on your Amazon account. Whoa, that's like new within the last week or two. It's down in the advanced security settings. It's it's three tiers deep. Oh, Require Jesus. your mobile okay. phone to sign into your account, and you can do it. And it looks like um, doesn't look like they have a dedicated app, but what I assume is that you get texted a key. Or like most yeah, and that's how most people do it. it. Could yeah, be, exactly. It could be very similar to the way um, Facebook handles its two factor, is that it has within the Facebook app the code generator, code generator. I think that's what it's called. And so instead of texting you the code. You get a Facebook notification if you have the Facebook app installed, and you it opens up to code generator and it gives you a six digit character or six digit uh, thing. Sure. So they Which is like how Steam does it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. Steam sends you an email. So no, do you not have do you not have the code mobile authenticator? I oh maybe not. We don't need to look now, I suppose. But yeah, so that's the thing that Steam can do. I thought Steam was the same. Look at that. Two factor all the things. <laughs> All the things can do two except you know what it's how you can't do two factor. Sony, Sony. PSN. <laughs> 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 
Oh man, that's good. I mean, so I, th- I was laughing about two-factor authentication as I was talking with this about, you know, talking about all this with Sarah because I said, yeah, there's it's nice. Like a lot of these apps are going to it. You can get the Google Authenticator, and then some apps allow you to tie into the Google Authenticator, yes. right? So you can use that as a service, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I was laughing because the first two-factor authentication that I ever signed up for was not for the security, and it's amazing because it shows that it worked. I got it for World of Warcraft because you got a unique pet in the game. You got a little Corhound pup, and they sent you this little keychain with a battery that said this will last as long as your account, and um, you press the button, and that was time synced up. So it was a physical device not tied to the Internet. Huh. And that was the – I had that in, like, 2000, whenever it came out, 2008, 9, I don't know. It's like a time lock safe. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, each one of those devices had a unique key, so then they would they knew whatever the you know the backend was to match it up. But yeah, I had that thing. It went with my uh, in my land bag everywhere with me. <laughs> <laughs> and now they just have a nice and Blizzard. Okay, so as if we're talking about authenticators, Blizzard has the best mobile authenticator still today because when you open up the Blizzard authenticator, it gives you a nice clean indication as to how much time is left on you know to be able to, for your time code to be valid. Mm-hmm. And it actually changes colors over time, so it's green. You can't really see this, but can you now? It's turning orange because time is almost out. Mm-hmm. And then it goes five, four, three, two, one, click, and then it's back to green. That's yeah. your code's good for That's another minute. That's very similar to how the the Facebook two factor works, where it it has okay. it has a it countdown timer. Also, one works. Yeah, I assume okay, most of these nice. are like that. Yeah, the other that's ones. That's the I've best seen, one I've seen, though. Oh, the Blizzard one is the best one I've seen. I just like everything is right, but they only have the one to worry worry about. Right? They're not trying to cater to a bunch of different services either. So. Google's has, it's more simple, but it can also service four or five different um, actual services. Wow, they really bury the crap out of this Amazon thing, don't they? Yeah, exactly. And you know what's really interesting is that it requires a backup device that is different from your main device. Meaning a Kindle <laughs> or or a Fire? <laughs> uh, or something like that. Oh, it there's, means that. there's a good promotion. Sorry. Well, look at that. I, I was thinking the text means the good promotion is you'd, uh, here, take a Kindle, and if you sent up two factor with it, you'll get you know, X many dollars or X dollars off or X dollars Amazon credit. Yeah. Make up for the, uh, the subsidy on the, the Fire tablet. <laughs> no, you get to keep that too. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm saying this would be an addition too, probably. But, it, you know, Google, or yeah, Google does it, right? Like annually, if you update your security settings or if you log in and check your security settings, they give you like five gig on Drive. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's really just because their storage is essentially free for them. So that's a nice way of getting people to keep their stuff secure. It's perfect, right? It saves them a headache. It's great. Yeah, that's that's really nice. Anyhow, those are all the shenanigans I have. I didn't, didn't break or lose anything else this week, so that was successful. That's good. Good, good. Yep, just to let you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do for next week's episode? Yeah, he's going to buy the second book in that series. <laughs> God, God knows it's gonna say say am's gonna roll around before I know it, and I'm gonna be balls deep in the assassin's quest. <laughs> oh goodness! Hey, um, topically, we can congratulate Mr. Lilja though because he successfully defended his master's defense yesterday. So, congratulations, Master Lilja. That's right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, I'll add a, I'll add a rousing applause. <laughs> <laughs> You'll, you'll add that in post, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty roused. Um, 
What that means now is that on this podcast, whatever I say goes, because I am a master of human-computer interaction. And what that means is whenever you say something, you hit the storm Stonewall, which is my master of human-computer interaction. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just to be clear, Andrew's the one who said that there was no two-factor authentication for Amazon. So as far as anyone's concerned, there's no two-factor authentication. <laughs> because he's a master. <laughs> I'm silently doing air guns at Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, congratulations. That's that's excellent. Can you tease what your topic was? Because I think it's really interesting and it, and it is definitely worth talking about. Yeah. So I looked into how to effectively incorporate social information. So uh, external social media posts and also selection behaviors into 10 foot user interfaces, which are interfaces you use from 10 feet away. So typically that's uh, sitting on your couch with a TV. I think it's, it's super interesting and I th- it's, criminally under-investigated and underdeveloped, right? For the amount of time it's, that we spend on our TV. Yeah. As I, as I discussed in my defense, <laughs> 33% of internet-connected households have a streaming box and 50% of adult Americans have a console, and yet there is absolutely no social information like easily and usefully available on these devices. Yeah, that's, that seems crazy to me. Like, that I can turn on my Apple TV and not see anything about my friends? That's bananas. Yep, I think that's a, it's an absolutely interesting area that we need to dive into at some point. And a topic, yeah. a topic for another week. That's exactly right. So Ian, Ian will have to listen to this and fix it. Do you want to do the thing where you say your Twitter account and all that? Uh, no. Okay, good. If you want to find show notes for this episode, wow. you can go to interface.fm slash three and uh, get links to all the things we talked about. Mm-hmm.